Good morning, church. My name is Micah, and they have tasked me this morning in closing out our study of James, Get Out There. Hasn't it been a great series? I don't know about you, but yes, amen. So if you do not have a Bible this morning, would you please raise your hand? We have the ushers in the back that they would love to get you God's word in front of you. We're going to be in James chapter 5. So just go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers in the back would love to get you the Bible in your hand. Um, in this morning, as we're finishing up the book of James, we're coming into it at the very beginning of chapter 5 from last week, where we the main point of last week was, wait for it, patience, patience was to, to wait on the Lord. And this isn't the patience of like a, a toddler waiting for his mom to get done with the hair salon so then they can go to the grocery store and then to the doctor. No, this is patience waiting for the greatest event that's going to take place for all of history, the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, where every there's no sin, there's no tear in any eye, and it's pure perfection, and we are living out God's promises in, ple- in complete fullness. And so James, from looking at patience for the day of the Lord to establish our hearts in him, then directly goes into answering this question. How does an active faith community pray? So, hey, church, we are an active faith community. Just look around. The, the body of Christ, the gathering in this room is an active faith community. So he is talking directly to us this morning. And there's only one appropriate way to get into this message that I know of um, on prayer is to start with prayer. So would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we can gather as your body of believers, Lord. Thank you for this active faith community this morning. I pray that we will get into your word, that you will speak to us through your word, that you will convict us where we need it, that you will challenge us in areas where we are faithless, and that we will grow more more like your son this morning. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in James chapter 5, starting verse 13, James has three ways an active faith community should pray. And so the first way that he points to is individually. Individually, that a body of believers, a group of believers is put together by individual parts. So look at verse 13 with me. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him, let him pray. If anyone among you is cheerful or of good heart, let him sing praise. What James is doing is he is covering the spectrum of emotions. He doesn't put qualifiers on how much suffering. You might have been suffering this morning because you didn't get your cup of coffee. It, or it could be all the way up to the cancer patient who's going through radiation right now. Everyone and everyone in between needs to come to the Lord on their knees and pray to him. And on the same side of praising God, if you are of good heart, of good cheer. So if you are content this morning or you just, you, you are in a good season, you need to be singing praise, be the one of the first ones to praise God for that season that he is blessing you to. And again, he doesn't put qualifiers on it. It could be you just got a good grade on a test earlier this week, or it could be your wedding day. And all the in-between needs to bring us to God. John Calvin was quoted as saying, James means that there is no time in which God does not invite us 
to himself. There's no time in which God does not invite us to himself. And we see this even in the book of Psalms. The last four or five summers, we have taken sections of the book of Psalms and studied it. And over and over and again, we see the spectrum of emotions where the psalmist is either crying out to God in pure agony all the way to rejoicing because it is the happiest day of his life. We see psalms that say, great is the Lord. He is greatly worthy to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable to the next psalm going, my God, my God, where are you? And it teaches us how in our emotions to approach him, to deal with our emotions that God has given to us, has instilled in us. So in talking about prayer this morning, this shouldn't instill guilt. If you look over even the last past week and you go, you know what, I really, I haven't spent enough time praying. This isn't, prayer isn't a have to, it is a get to. We have a loving father who is lovingly inviting us to himself. And there's no shame with him. And so we have no other invitation, though, like this in our lives. None at all. Even think about going to the doctor's office or some specialist or orthopedic surgeon, right? You have to make the call, make the appointment, and you need to pass the first test, which is, what's your insurance number? (laughs) Right? And then you finally make the appointment, which is probably three to four weeks out, and then you finally get to the appointment, and then you need to pass the next test. You need to do all the paperwork, And then after you do that, you get to catch up on our um, Us Weekly and People magazine. And then when you finally get back into the room and then wait for the doctor, when he gets there, you might get what? 10 minutes? Maybe? And then as soon as the doctor leaves and he shuts the door, you remember all the important questions that you were supposed to ask him, correct? But we don't have a God like that. He is lovingly inviting us to walk alongside him day in and day out, no matter the circumstances. So if you are suffering this morning, come to him in prayer. If you are of good cheer, sing praise to our God. So if you are of good heart, if you are of good cheer, praise him. Because what you are praising him for, you're saying, God, your will is good. Your will is good. Yet, again, in the same flip of the coin, it's, again, the invitation, if you're suffering, to come before him and pray to him, but he's going to change your heart where you are praying, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. But beware, if you are coming to God and praying to him in difficult circumstances, he's probably going to change your heart enough where it will change your prayer. So instead of, Lord, give me or take this from me, it's going to be use me for your will and your purpose. Use me for your will and your purpose. And and the prayer and praise, it curbs our temptations in either direction. So if you are a person that is in the midst of suffering in any way, coming to God and praying to him will curb the temptation to completely just rebel against God. To say, you know what, God? Forget this. You are, I am struggling with way too much. I'm going to do it on my own. Coming to God and giving it to him will curb that temptation that we all have at times. And then on the flip side, if you are of good cheer, it is very easy to think that you've done it yourself. Very easy. You know what? I pulled myself up from my bootstraps. I am a self-made man, which is absolute garbage. And so when we come to God in praise, it curbs our temptations to do just that. 
And so I want to challenge all of us in the midst of suffering and good cheer to really analyze what are we using God for? Do we use God like I use my, use my Tacoma to, you know, pickup truck? You know, eight years ago, I bought my pickup truck. It's supposed to run 350,000 miles with basic maintenance, and it gets me from point A to point B. Great, I get to do exactly what I want. Or are we like a car guy? Is there any car guys in here? You know, it's all about the tires and wheels and exhaust pipes and how many, how many ponies are under the hood, and, and that car goes from an it to a she. And it's all about the car. My, my neighbor just bought a Corvette Spider or something special. And he thinks it's so cool. The first two weeks he had it, he was probably out detailing it seven different times. Okay. And just because I showed interest, he did let me drive it, but it was great. So he is a car guy. But we need to be God, men, and women. Where it is about God and his purpose. And even when we're approaching him, it is about his will, not necessarily our will. And so that first, as an active faith community, we need to be praying individually, either coming to him in prayer or praise. Secondly, is leader-led prayer. Leader-led prayer. Here at South Shores, the staff, we want to be in prayer with as many of you as we possibly can. Even right now, there is a prayer team that is in the other room praying for you. Every week, whoever writes prayer requests on those blue cards, the staff, we get an email every week and we pray through them. We have a set time aside. We have a time set aside on every Tuesday where we gather as a staff and we say, you know what? We are going to get on our knees and pray. And the very first question is, who in our church needs prayer? We take prayer very seriously. We see that as the glue that holds us together. But James in this section is talking about a very rare occurrence. So we just went from something that ha- should be happening all day, every day, to something that, ha- that happens that's not so frequent. So look at verse 14. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the, save the one who is sick. So just looking at that, what James is calling to do is, this person who, this isn't like a little sniffle. Right? This isn't like a cough. I mean, just imagine if the doctor said, you know what, I'm going to prescribe you a Z-pack and a prayer anointing with a pastor. Right? That never happens. We'd be doing that all the time. This is someone that's on their deathbed or, bed or in, with chronic disease. And so he's saying, you know what, those of you that are just at your wit's end that help, need to be helped carry just a little bit further, go to your elders, go to your pastors and have them pray over you. And see, what's confusing about this verse is many people will read it and go, well, if I have that, then automatically I'm going to be healed. But is that in our experience? Have we always seen that to be true? No. No. But we, because we know that we serve a God who is in his perfect will sometimes allows us to be struggling with things. We see the Apostle Paul, right? The man who deserved to be healed of anything he wanted had the thorn in his side, that God allowed him to have his entire life. He allows us to have illness. So then why ask pastors at all? I mean, j- just a little secret. Pastors don't have the red telephone with a direct line up to God. It doesn't exist. We don't, we don't have it personally. So why ask pastors at all? He's not giving us a prescription 
for healing, but what he's doing is saying, you know what, when you are at that wit's end, when you are at the end of your rope, if you are sick, have your elders or your pastors pray over you and anoint you to rededicate your faith to him, that God, no matter what your will is, I want to be a part of it. And if that means I need to suffer with this, I want my pastors to help keep me accountable in this. And so that I won't waver. So I will be patient for the coming day of the Lord. And what a great day that will be. My, my wife and I, we have some very dear friends uh, that the wife recently just went in for her annual checkup. And the doctor saw something that was interesting. He said, we need to take some tests. They did some more tests. And she got this call that it was cancerous. And they want to do a biopsy and take it out. And they don't know the seriousness of it. Just imagine getting that call. You're all alone, and the first thing you do is go to WebMD, and you diagnose yourself with 10 other things, which is the most crazy, insane form of torture there is. And then after doing all that, she needed to do the next thing, which was call her husband. And her husband, again, these are very dear friends, and I look up to them a lot. The very first thing is we need to pray. And so over the phone, he says, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to sacrifice himself for us. Lord, use this to bring others closer to you and us closer to you as well. What a powerful prayer. I hope in that moment, if I'm ever tested in a similar fashion, I can pray the same thing. Lord, help my situation, whatever it may be, bring others closer to you and us closer to you as well. When I hear that, that couple, their heart is established for the day of the Lord, isn't it? And so, yes, they want healing. Yes, they want relief from this hard situation, which we all do when we're in those moments when we find out the bad diagnosis, when we find out that our kids are doing things that they shouldn't, when we find out that we might be losing our home, when we find out anything. But God has put you in that situation that you are going to reach others in ways that others cannot. And so, Lord, your will is supreme and, and I, all I ask is that I get to be a part of it and use this situation. But in this, with the, the elders laying of hands and anointing with oil, don't miss the second half of verse 15. It says, And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the Lord will raise you up, maybe in this life, 100% certain in the next life. But the most important thing is that you will be stripped, you will be cleansed of all your sins. And so you know with certainty what's going to happen for all eternity. You don't know with certainty what's going to happen today. And so we need to hold on to that. So a praying over with the elders is a rededication for eternity, not just for this life. And this assurance of forgiveness is not an assurance of health. But know for sure that you are forgiven. That no sin is too great for our great God, the God of grace, the God of forgiveness, yet at the same time a God of justice. And so, yes, we are supposed to be people praying individually, having our leaders pray over us and with us. And then lastly, or thirdly, we are to be praying for one another. We are to be praying for one another. But honestly, when you look at this, there are two types of one another's. Look at verse 16. It says, 
therefore, which anytime there's a therefore, you need to say, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's saying, because your sins are forgiven, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so what is he saying? He's saying, come because your sins are forgiven, because you have no shame or guilt, because I have taken it from you, you, as Jesus Christ on the cross, you all need to be confessing to one another. So let's try it. Ready? All confess to each other. Why did that get awkward so fast? We are horrible at this. We don't like to show weakness. And men, we are the worst at it. We are the worst at confessing one another. We're pretty bad at getting together with another fellow brother and even sharing what's going on in our lives. Because it's so easy to say, you know, I am so busy with work and my family and my kids and whatever excuse that we can come up with. We hate to show weakness. We want to look good because our reputation is at stake. But what James is saying is your reputation is in Christ and everything else has been wiped away. What great news. That is some of the greatest news I have heard today. That everything, there is no sin. Because in like Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the strength of Christ's work is exemplified in our weakness. And so what, G, what James is saying, that together as the body of Christ, we need to be sharing our weaknesses with one another because we will all see Christ's strength through it, even though it is painful at the time. And how about you? But I'm challenged by that. I'm not very good at it. In your bulletins, there's an orange sheet of paper like this. And if this morning you, you hear what James is saying and you go, you know what, I... Honestly, I'm, I'm failing at that. I'm not doing a very good job. There's no guilt or shame in that because you're, you're with the majority. And I want to just challenge you, if you feel convicted by what James is saying, to put your name and number and maybe your email address and the ushers on the way out, are just they're just going to have the, uh, the offering plates and you can just drop this in. And our staff would love to connect you with a number, another member of our church that's saying, you know what, I just want to share what's going on in my life with someone else. I need community as well. And so there is no shame in this. If anything, I just, I commend any of you who put your name on this paper and give it on your way out. Because we need to be a people of community, of an active faith community, praying for one another, showing our weakness so Christ's strength should be proclaimed. This last week, an old friend of uh, my wife's said, you know what, we need to get coffee. And they hadn't, they're not, they haven't been really close and she said, okay, and at coffee, she said, you know what? It has been bugging me. I did X, Y, and Z four years ago, and I knew it was wrong in the moment, and it has bugged me ever since. And because she came to apologize and confess to my wife, my wife got to see how God was working in her life in ways that she never could have anticipated or imagined. When we humble ourselves and are able to confess to one another, we see God working. We let others in how God is working in his strength. But again, in my small group, just I think this is universal for all small groups, when there are weeks that we're talking about confession, we go, well, it's prayer time. It's just kind of like how it got awkward in here. It's awkward in our growth group. It crickets because we don't like to do it. And it's like pulling teeth. We hate to confess to one another. But James is calling us to live lives that we can be imitating Christ, but praying for each other and encouraging each other on to bear each other's burdens, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 6. 
although bearing each other's burdens is, is hard and difficult, we have to share in sharing our burdens as well. And then James, it's really interesting. He goes, he uses one of the most, the biggest prophets in the Old Testament. Look at verse 16, or the second half of, or 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently it might, that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. And so he says, Elijah, who had a nature just like ours, prayed and God used him in great and mighty ways. In great and mighty ways. And so he can use all of us, even in our weakness, which Elijah was a very flawed man. Even right after this incident, he almost had an emotional breakdown. And God came to him and said, you know what? Take a minute, here's some food, and, and take a nap. Here's some food, take a nap. And we all need that sometimes. Sometimes we need someone else to point that out to us. And we only do that when we share each other's burdens. Because look back at the second half of verse 16 where it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. It's not saying just leaders of the church. It's not saying people like Elijah. A person of righteousness has great power in its working. You, we all have the red telephone, not just pastors or leaders. We all have that direct communication to God because he is lovingly inviting us to himself. And so, yes, he can work through your pride. He can work through your, the sin that he has taken from you, that through your weakness, his strength may be exemplified. And then, so that's one another here in this room. There's another one another that James talks about. The other one another are the wandering brothers and sisters, the ones that have called themselves to be believers in Christ, but then aren't being patient for the day of the Lord. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so we've been talking about a lot of suffering or of good heart or sickness in so far. But now, again, it focuses on not the temporary, but the eternal. He goes... If one of you are on your knees for a wandering brother or sister and you are able to bring him back, you don't just save him from earthly suffering, which you probably don't. You save him from all eternity. It was that he can be in communion with God. You save his soul. How powerful is that? About five or six years ago, my wife and I, we took this couple out to dinner and just getting to know him in the midst of conversation. Um, I'll call him Shane because his name is Shane. Um, <laughs> In our conversation, he said, he said, I'd be willing to become a missionary. I'd be will I, I believe on God's word what it says and that we cannot waste our life that I would become a missionary. Just this last week, uh, Shane had a post where he was promoting this writer and intellectual named Sam Harris. And if you don't know who he is, his most famous book is called The End of Faith. Uh, Sam Harris is quoted as saying that his aim is to demolish the intellectual and moral pretensions of Christianity in its most committed forms. That has a special sting to it, doesn't it? That someone who has sat in these pews has gone that far from, I will become a missionary, to 
this, this is worthless. And we all know people like that that need to be on our prayer list. That we need to, when we are praying individually and with each other, that we are remembering and praying for those people so that when we get the moment, we can speak truth into their lives. And I've dedicated myself to pray for Shane. And so we need to be people that are praying individually, praying with our leaders, and praying with one another. This passage has worked its way, as I've seen it work in my life in various ways the last three years, in ways I couldn't have anticipated or predicted. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I, we decided it was time to, to start a family, and we were excited about doing that. And one month turned into two, two turned into four, and there's kind of anxiety building and not quite sure what's going on. Nothing's happening. And we go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what? Everything is fine. We, we can't explain why you're not conceiving. And then you get to a year and they title you that you're infertile. And they still say, you know what? This is unexplainable. And I would be lying if I told you that there weren't many tear-soaked nights in pleading to God going, God, why aren't you blessing us in this? We want to raise all the children that you might bless us in your ways. It caused us to start praying about, hey, is adoption the right way? Is being a foster parent something that we should consider? And then at a year and a half, we conceived. And for eight weeks, we were so happy. We told both of our families and some of our friends, and then we lost it. And then had to go through that pain all again. And we saw God work through that where we were able to um, speak to people that had gone through the very same thing or were going through it at the exact same time. And then two months later, we conceived again. And then five weeks later, we lost it again. And you're just asking God, why are you doing this? And but through this, we learned how to rejoice with those that are rejoicing and mourn with those that are mourning something that I never would have asked for three years ago, but I, I wouldn't want to give away now. Last month, we announced that we're due in August, so I want you all praying for us. <laughs> and when we announced in this room to the San Juan campus, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And, but see, when we had the first miscarriage, we started getting the word out to some of the Bible studies and people that um, are, were alongside us. And they were praying for us. And I don't think we would have made it without them, lifting us up, encouraging us, even in the most difficult of times. And we lost count when we got to 100 people, people praying for this child. And so there are going to be people that when this child is born, is going to say, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And so, but through this whole process, we were taught a lesson that even when God says no, he is still good. Even when God says no, he is still good. And I know there are people that have dealt with the same thing and it doesn't have as happy, happy ending for them, but God is still gonna use your situation. He is still teaching you lessons. He will use you for his kingdom. And I, if you are in that, I pray that you have people around you praying for you and lifting you up. And so with that, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that we will be a people of prayer, that we will be an active faith community, that we will be praying in our suffering and in our good cheer or our good heart, 
that we will be people praying with our leaders, rededicating ourselves to you and your will and your perfect supremacy. I pray that we will be people that are, because you have taken our sin from us, that we will be willing to show our weakness to exemplify your strength because your will is perfect and good. And Lord, we thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.